you're a guest today, welcome to an apostolic church. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. To our guests, we are glad to have you this morning. This is your first time or first couple of times with us. We welcome you. We're so glad to have you here today. And uh, those of you that are watching us online, welcome you as a part of this service. Glad to know that the same Jesus that's in this room with us right now is the same Jesus wherever you are right now. Praise God. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. This is one of those services that's the reason why we don't plan ahead the service. Because we're getting ready to take a hard right. Worship team did their job. Now I'm going to do my job. And we both are doing our job this morning. The worship team loves it, and I love it, when it's all just seems like the same thing. That's really, especially me, because i got to follow that. And I'm like, Lord, are you sure? I mean, we, we are cranked and having fun. Can't we just keep having fun? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Again, reading with verse number 11. These are the words of the wise man Solomon. These are the last four verses. Twelve chapters in Ecclesiastes. These are, this is the conclusion of it all. He says this, The words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the, fastened by the master's of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. Somebody say one shepherd. I, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you today, there is no smorgasbord of, of faith. There's no pick and choose. If you don't like this one, you go, no, there's only one God. There's only one way. There's only one Bible that's the Word of God. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end. Paul told Timothy that there would be a day where we were ever learning, but not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Thousands and thousands of books are written every year. And look at the condition our world continues to go in. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. I can hear some students say amen to that one. See, Mom, the Bible says I should. No, never mind. Now watch this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. We're going to summarize it all right now. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You may do stuff that you're 
spouse, your parents, your children, your friends, your boss never knows about. But I'm going to tell you today, there's not one thing you do, there's not even one thing you think that God isn't aware of. And according to the wise man, there is a day that you will have to give an account for it. And then if you'd go to Mark chapter 12 and verse number 28, the scripture says this, And one of the scribes came and having heard the reasoning, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Notice that as a part of the first commandment, it's not something to do, it's something to know. And thou shalt love thy neighbor, or excuse me, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Knowing God and loving God. And the second is like namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandments greater than these. In Matthew 22 and verse 40, which is a parallel passage, Matthew says Jesus said it this way, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Living Bible says that verse this way, All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets stem from these two laws and are fulfilled if you obey them. So really, in essence, what Jesus is saying here is echoing what Solomon said. Fear God. Keep His commandments. The greatest commandment is to know there's only one God. And a part of knowing there's only one God is knowing that you are not that God. And if by chance you are that God, we are in big trouble. But not just to know, but to love Him with all your heart, your soul, your mind. I'm going to preach to you this morning, if I could borrow it, some terminology from world of psychology, I want to preach to you this morning on an an existential crisis, an existential crisis. Father, thank you for your presence that has been in this place this morning that has responded. Lord, your word says that the rain that comes down is in accordance to the vapor that goes up, and I... I believe one application of that, Lord, is our praise and worship, that as we send up our praise and our worship, your presence responds to us, and you have responded to us today, and I thank you. Lord, I know that every time we worship and every time we praise, you do that because you promise, but I still want to be thankful. I want to be grateful and not take it for granted, so we thank you today. Thank you for your spirit that's already touched hearts and lives in this place. God, I pray now that through your word you would speak. Lord, we're not unfamiliar. Many of us, there's students in this room today that throughout this coming week, they're going to hear and sit and listen to someone talk. There's other settings. We listen to podcasts. We listen to, we watch things and listen to people talk. 
God, I'm not interested in just talking this morning. I'm not interested in just speaking this morning because we expect that as a part of when we come together for a church service, there's going to be something preached. God, I want to be a a messenger today. I pray, God, that your word would be alive in this place today and hearts would be open to hear. I pray that spirits would be open in this place to receive today. Lord, not just our intellect, but our hearts, the seed of our emotions, our will, our desires, our affections. Let that hear what you would say. I trust you this morning. I depend on you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to read those verses in Ecclesiastes to you from a couple of other translations. The first one is the Amplified Bible, and it says it this way, starting with verse number 11. The words of the wise are like prodding goads and firmly fixed in the mind like nails. In the mind, like nails are the collected sayings which are given as proceeding from one shepherd. But about going further than the words given by one shepherd, my son, be warned. What he's saying here is you, you, you don't really, for life, for how to live, for what life is all about, you don't really need anything else besides what the shepherd has to say. Of making many books there is no end, so do not believe everything you read, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. All has been heard. The end of the matter is... Fear God. you got to understand also that Solomon wrote much of Proverbs. He didn't write all of Proverbs, but he wrote much of Proverbs. And if, in fact, there is any chronological order to this, then everything he said in Proverbs is, is also, you can add that to what he said in Ecclesiastes. And so he's saying after all of that, here is the end of the matter. Fear God. Revere and worship Him, knowing that He is, and keep His commandments. For this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of His creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness. The foundation of all happiness is fearing God and keeping His commandments. For this is the whole of man. Full original purpose, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and the whole duty for every man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it is good or evil. And then the Message Bible says these verses this way, The words of the wise prod us to live well. They're like nails hammered home, holding life together. They are given by God, the one shepherd. But regarding anything beyond this, dear friend, go easy. There's no end to the publishing of books and constant study wears you out so you're no good for anything else. Amen. The last and final word is this. The last and final word is this. 
Fear God and do what He tells you. And that's it. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do out in the open and judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. I got a question. Is there anybody here today that you've got some things you've done, maybe some things you're doing, some thoughts you're thinking that you don't want anybody else to know? Please don't lie in church. My hand is not raised to get you to raise your hand. My hand is raised because there are things that I, I don't want people to know because I'm no, I'm no different of a human than you are. According to the scripture, there's coming a day where everything you've done, good or bad, is going to be brought out in the open. You can, you can walk up to somebody, you can meet somebody, shake their hand, smile at them. You're thinking, oh man, they like me. You don't know what's going on in their head. You could be thinking some pretty negative thoughts. That might be a grimace instead of a smile. Oh man, somebody needs to help them learn how to dress or... Oh man, they got bad breath, or I, I don't know. God hears and sees it all, not just what you say, but what you. I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought. The idea that God hears everything that goes up and goes on in my mind, and one day He says it will be brought to judgment. And we're pretty much all hopeless in this room right now. Except for the fact, the psalmist said it this way, for those that the Lord is their shepherd. He said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Another place in scripture says, some men send their sins before them to judgment and others follow after them. You don't have to live in fear of judgment day of what's going to catch up to you. If you've been letting the Lord be your shepherd and the blood of Jesus work in your life, then goodness and mercy are come behind, coming behind you and covering what what you've done. But if the Lord is not your shepherd and goodness and mercy are not following you, there's coming a day when everything you've done, good or evil, is going to be made known. Can you imagine what would happen in our world today? If every human being was willing to decide that that is truth and I'm going to live by that. There's pretty much no problem in our world today that would not be taken care of. It's amazing in so many ways, the simplicity of this book. But yet how profound it is at the same time. This is the whole duty of man. Now, I, I want to just, just, just a little foundational point here. God, God 
created. I don't know what you believe today, but I don't believe in evolution. I don't believe we got here by evolution. I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I believe what Genesis 1 says that God said. In the beginning was God. It all started with God. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. It it wasn't all some random chance. But but there was this there was this pattern that we find in Genesis, and it's an it's a pattern that we need to pay attention to. And Genesis one and nine, the scripture says this: God said, "Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear." And it was so. You, you see, the the pattern is this: God created the environment. Before he created the thing to live in the environment. He also determined the environment that the thing was supposed to live in. Let me give you just two examples. There's a couple more in this passage, but two examples are this. Verse number 10. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good, and God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so that the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind and God saw that it was good. There there was no creating. It wasn't, okay, let there be grass before there's earth. Grass needs a proper environment. The tree needs a proper environment to be able to live. Verse number 20 says, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. We go back to verse 9 and it said, the waters under the heaven were gathered together in one place and then the dry land appeared. So in verse 20, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind and God and God saw that it was good. He didn't say let there be whales and fish. Oh, wait a minute. I need I need an environment. I got to have a no. He created the environment first and then he put the creature in the environment. And by putting the creature in the environment he created for the creature, he also determined the environment the creature was supposed to live in. You might be able for a few moments, animals can live for a few moments outside of the environment they were created for, but not much more than a few moments. Take a fish out of water and he might flop around for a few moments. Still alive. But keep him out of the water and death will come shortly. Throw an animal that doesn't breathe in the water in the water and they may gasp for a few breaths under the water. But it's only a matter of a few moments. Not here with some trivial science lesson for you. 
It's only a matter of, of, of time that that thing cannot survive out of its environment. God is the creator, including of you and I. And God, when he created, before God created us, God created an environment that we were supposed to live in. And you may try to live outside of the environment that God created for you, and you may survive for a few moments, so to speak, but you cannot live outside of the environment that God created. back to my title and existential crisis Valencia Higuera says this as an overview most people experience anxiety depression and stress at some point in their lives for many these emotions are short term and don't interfere too much with their quality of life but for others negative emotions can lead to despair causing them to question their place in life this is known as an existential crisis The idea of an existential crisis has been studied by psychologists and psychiatrists such as Kazimierz Dabrowski and Irvin Yalom for decades, starting as early as 1929. Yet even with the abundance of old and new research on the topic, you might be unfamiliar with this term or not understand how it differs differs from normal anxiety and depression. Here's what you need to know about an existential crisis as well as how to overcome this turning point. Here's the definition of an existential crisis. People can have an existential crisis when they start to wonder what life means and what their purpose or the purpose to life as a whole is, explains Clay Katie Leakum, a licensed therapist in Decatur, Georgia, who specializes in working with anxiety, relationship stress, and gender identity. It can be a break in thinking patterns where you suddenly want answers to life's big questions. It's not uncommon to search for meaning and purpose in your life. With an existential crisis, however, the problem lies in being unable to find satisfying answers. For some people, the lack of answers trigger a personal conflict from within, causing frustration and loss of inner joy. An existential crisis can affect anyone at any age, but experience a crisis in the... But many experience a crisis in the face of a difficult situation, perhaps the struggle to succeed. Causes can be everyday challenges and stresses may not, may not provoke an existential crisis. This type of crisis is likely to follow deeper despair or a significant even, or a significant event such as a major trauma or major loss. A few causes of an existential crisis may include guilt about something, losing a loved one in death or facing the reality of one's own death, feeling socially unfulfilled, dissatisfaction with self, history of bottled up emotions. You know what is so amazing about each one of those things? There is an answer right here. You have some guilt about something you've done in the past? Thank God for the blood that washes white as snow. I know that it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley 
Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. Have you experienced the loss of a loved one? Let me tell you about the comforter. Let me tell you about the one who comes alongside and will be there with you. Are you feeling, are you feeling socially unfulfilled? Let me tell you about a purpose that goes beyond what your natural, natural life is all about. Are you, are you dissatisfaction with self? Let me tell you about his righteousness that he's willing to give you as a free gift. You got a history of bottled up emotions? Just bring it all to Jesus and just let it all go. There's not one thing you've got bottled up inside of you that's going to surprise him or scare you off. Scare him off. Britannica.com says this, triggers and examples. Existential crisis occur at periods of transition throughout life. Several critical periods have been identified as likely to trigger an existential crisis. An early An early teenage crisis is concerned with defining oneself as independent from caretakers. A sophomore crisis, which can occur in the late teens or early 20s, focuses on establishing an identity through career relationships and how one finds meaning. An adult crisis, which can occur in the late 20s, centers on questions about career, but also on a life building, on life building factors such as religion and independence. A midlife crisis relates to aging and realization of being trapped in restrictive roles. That's, that's the crisis I'm now entering into. Finally, a later crisis which can be triggered by a life transition or an illness focuses on questions of legacy and achievement. Healthcare workers are especially interested in how to resolve existential crises that arise with disease when death is a concern or with a life-altering illness that brings up major questions of identity such as schizophrenia. It says that they have been, I go back to what I already read, they've been studying an existential crisis as early as 19. 1929. I don't know why you need to continue studying an existential crisis because I can tell you there is an answer to that. If you want to know the meaning and the purpose of life, it's right here. Fear God and keep His commandments. Of course, the world responds to that and says, what kind of life is that? Who wants to live just fearing God and keeping His commandment? The word fear there is not about terror. Not about being scared, it's reverence, it's it's all, it's respect. The only reason you could say, what kind of life is that, fearing God and keep His commandments, is because you don't understand all kinds of other things in the Bible. Because when I read, fear God and keep His commandments, I also read the words of Jesus when He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Fearing God and keeping His commandments is not about living some kind of life of slavery. It's about living the best life you have or you're able to live. Because if you want freedom, you don't get freedom outside of surrender and submitting to God's plan and purpose. It amazes me. People look at us as Bible-believing Christians. You, you're, you, you are so bound. The same person that says that has an addiction that they can't get free from. The same person that wants to accuse us of living a life of bondage is the same person that has to go through all kinds of means to satisfy an addiction 
I believe it's in the book of James that, that uh, he, he, he talks about the perfect law of liberty. You can't have true liberty without a law first. It seems contradictory. Law seems restrictive. Law seems like it's, it's binding. How can you say to be free you need the law of liberty? Bottom line is this, I don't, I've never met a speed limit that was high enough for me. I've had the chance to drive once or twice out west where speed limit was 80. That's the highest I've driven. I mean, that's the highest speed limit I've driven in. can't say that's the highest I've ever been. But you know what? We, we understand whether I like the speed limit or not, whether I think it's fast enough or not, I understand that somebody put it there because in their opinion, this is the speed at which you can safely drive in this area. So I understand that what may be confining and restricting to how far down I push on the accelerator ultimately is what's there to preserve me, to keep me safe. But then I decide, God bless you, if you have enough discipline that you always drive the speed limit. You are a better man or a better woman than I am. The, the, the challenge is this, as long as I drive the speed limit, I'm, I'm, I'm following the law of liberty. If I choose to disregard the speed limit, I now am choosing to risk my freedom. You have the right to choose to not follow the law of liberty. But you also got to understand it ultimately leads to one place, to one thing. Jesus said the thief comes. I've already quoted what Jesus said he comes for. He comes to give life and life more abundantly. But he said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. You see... You, you didn't create yourself. Really, what really, really, one of the fundamental things all of this struggle comes down to is ownership. It's really what it all kind of boils down to. It's ownership. Who owns you? If you own you, that's where the conflict comes in. I'm not submitting to that. I'm not doing. I. I if you acknowledge that I've been bought with a price, that the blood of Jesus blood of Jesus was shed to redeem me, then I acknowledge, you know what? I don't own myself. Therefore, he has the right. Wait a minute, one more time. I think I'll say it again. And the thing is this, when you were created, every human, there, there are no accidents. 
I, I, I'm, I, I, if, if you're here today and you're one of those individuals that your parents at some point told you you were a mistake, I, I'm, I'm sorry your parents told you that. But the God that made you, there are no mistakes. There are no mistakes. Most of the young kids are out of here, so I'll be a little plainer than I would if they were, but the act that produces life takes place billions of times throughout the world a day. The conception doesn't happen every single time the act takes place. Whenever conception takes place, it's because there is a God who decided, I'm going to create a life. And if I create a life, I've got a purpose for that life. He told Jeremiah, I knew you in your mother's womb. Before you were ever born, I already had a purpose for your life. I already had a reason for bringing you into existence. We've got four, my wife and I have four kids. They're all adults now. We had four kids in six years, right? Three of them were kind of unplanned, at least the timing of them. But they weren't mistakes. They weren't accidents. I, 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 don't, I, I guess there must be somebody that needs to hear this because I can't quite go on yet. I don't care... I don't care if you were conceived in the back seat of a car between two teenagers that were in a flippant relationship. I don't care if you've never known your dad or you've never known your mom. They may not have planned on you, but I'm here today to tell you there is a God who decided I'm going to bring you into existence, not so that you can live some life of heartache and pain, but if you'll live in the environment I created for you, you may have gotten here through some negative circumstances, but I've got a plan and a purpose for your life, and that plan and purpose has significance and value. I know, you know, this is, I'm going to make one more point here. It's pretty sensitive to make, but from a biblical perspective, it doesn't even matter if you were conceived by rape. God decided. God decided. It's not some random act. God decided. There are no mistake. You are no accident. According to what the psalmist said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't care how tall or how short you are. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I I don't care about your physical characteristics. You were fearfully and wonderfully made by the Creator. Here's the thing. When the Creator made you, He created you with a purpose. This is a microphone, as you all know. This was created to do what this is doing. It's its purpose. Do you know what? If I needed to drive a nail and a piece of board, I could could probably, if it wasn't concrete, and if it was really, really hard wood, it might not, but typical piece of wood, I could use this 
to drive a nail. And it would, it would serve the purpose of driving the nail. But that's not its purpose. So what would happen if I use this? Our media director is sitting over there going, ooh, let's not do that. I wish I'd have thought about this message weeks in advance. I'd have gone on eBay or Amazon. I'd have bought me a really, and I'd have snuck it in over there and not told anybody. <laughs> if, if I succeeded at driving the nail, what do you expect would be the condition afterwards of this microphone? Dented, cracked, scratched, shattered. It may have done what I was trying to use it to do, but the problem is it wasn't created to do that. I'm preaching to some broken people in this place this morning because you're trying to live a purpose that you weren't designed to live. When you're designed for a purpose and you live that purpose, you don't have to worry about being broken and damaged and shattered and destroyed because whatever the purpose for you were created for, the designer made you specifically for that purpose. Say, well, I, some of you may say, well, I, I, you know what? I'm doing my best to live the purpose that the designer created me for, and I'm still getting cut and messed up. Yeah, you ever seen the, the, the head of a hammer, which is designed to drive nails? It, 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 still, occur, it still gets some scuffs and scratches. It's life. Life. You, you're going to get... Wounded, you're, you're going to get scratched, but you don't have to get destroyed. I, I, I preached it last Sunday morning. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, I think it is, he says we are cast down, but not destroyed. I, I did this last week. Still, still together, what do you... I, 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 I'm, I'm fine to continue to do. Look, it, it got a little bent, but I can, I can, I can bend it back in shape. Throw it down again. It's still. You, 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 you're gonna get. Life is gonna knock you down. Life is gonna deal you some blows. But when you're living in the purpose that God created you for, you may get cast down, but you will not be destroyed. Because if you're living in the purpose God created you to live in, yes, bumps and bruises along the way, but not being destroyed, not being broken. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Wow, what kind of way is that to live? Oh, do you have all day? I don't have enough time nor proper words to describe to you the joy and the blessing and the privilege of living a life that's trying to fear God and keep His commandments. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Proverbs 19 and 23 says this, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall, be, shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. The Amplified says it this way, The reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has its rest, he who has it rests satisfied. He cannot be visited with actual evil. The Living Bible says, Reverence for God gives life. Happiness and protection from harm. If you know anything about the story of Job, you know Job went through a very difficult time. Job lost everything he had, every possession, every family member except for his wife. Seven sons, three daughters died in one accident on the same day that he lost all of his possessions and he was a very wealthy man. But you see, if you read the first couple of chapters of the book of Job, you will find out the devil could not do any of those things to Job unless God gave him permission. I'm not here today preaching to you that if you fear God and keep His commandments, there will be no pain and suffering in your life. I'm not preaching that. But I will tell you, whatever you do go through, He'll sustain you. He'll keep you. And again, you may be cast down, but you will not be destroyed. Here's the conclusion. You don't need to go to the Dalai Lama or some guru or travel to the mountains of Tibet to find out the meaning of life. Since the beginning of time, the answer to the meaning of life is right here in this book. And I don't care how much more they continue studying an existential crisis, you're not going to find an answer outside of this book. Because if you want to know why you're here, you want to know the purpose, and you want to know the best way to live, it's to live fearing God and keeping His commandments. Because God's commandments and the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. Deuteronomy 10 verse 11 says this, The Lord said unto me, Arise, Take thy journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swear unto your fathers to give unto them. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord, what doth the Lord, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul. Well, you Christians live a boring life. Really? Really? You don't have any fun. Really? I have lots of fun in my life. But one of the things I appreciate about the fun that I have is when I lay down on my pillow at night, I don't struggle going to sleep because of the shame and guilt and condemnation over the fun I had. I'm not laying there with regrets over the fun I had because the fun I had, the pain and the heartache and suffering it cost somebody else. So no, fearing God and keeping His commandments is not a drudgery. It's the best way to live because it leads to life and life more abundantly. Why would God want to put commandments and borders and boundaries in my life. I used this analogy on Thursday night, but I'll use it again this morning. 
I'll stand here without thinking about it. I'll swing my legs out here because where's all the carpenters? What are we, two, two and a half feet here maybe? 29 inches to be exact. Thank you, Brother Evans. I'll even jump around a little bit. Because if I happen to fall, I'm probably going to be okay. The older I get, the more chances I won't be okay, even at (laughs) 29 inches. Right now, I'm okay. But if this was, as I said Thursday night, if this was the Grand Canyon, not only would you not see me right here, you probably wouldn't see me any closer than here. And even if there was a railing here, I would probably not be much closer than that. Isn't it amazing? How many of you here have ever ridden across the Bay Bridge? Most people in this room. Aren't those guardrails on that bridge a wonderful thing? I know we got a few people in this room that some things have damaged your brain a little bit, and you think it would be really cool to drive back and forth across the Bay Bridge without those guardrails. I know there's probably at least one or two people in here that you feel that way. Mike, no? Wow, I'm impressed. (laughs) Absolutely not. I've never one time driven across the Bay Bridge thought, who in the world would put those railings there and confine me in this bridge? What was their problem? I've never really thought this, but if I was really going to think about it, I'd be driving across there going, God, probably dead now, but God bless the man that decided. In fact, Lord, it would have been fine with me if he'd have made him a little bit higher and a little bit thicker. I wouldn't care if both ways... Across the bridge was one lane with about six or eight foot, ten foot walls on each side of the, except for the fact I live in St. Margaret's and there's too much traffic as it is, so. Absolutely not. How sad is it that when it comes to natural things in life, we appreciate guardrails and boundaries to keep us safe. But somehow when it comes to our eternity and our souls that are going to live forever, we don't want any boundaries or guardrails. They're not there to, to, to keep you in and make you a prisoner. They're there to keep stuff out. I guess even when you get older and get married and move out of the house, you're still the material for the pastor. So Esther, when she was like, I don't know, four, five, six, maybe somewhere in that range, our neighbors had a, what was it called? A Sheltie. He was pretty playful and running around and whatever, but one day, I think, Esther and probably her siblings were out in the front yard playing and, and that Sheltie saw her and went running for her. And she went running for the front door and he kept running for her. She made her way inside the front door and was able to get the door closed behind her. 
We, when we bought that house, there was a yard in the back that already had a fence. Anytime she or her siblings were in the backyard inside the fence with the gate closed, there was no reason to worry about the Sheltie. It was when you got outside. We didn't have her and her siblings play in the backyard because we were terrible parents trying to make them prisoners. We were trying to keep them safe. Because inside that fence, there was protection. Inside that fence, you didn't have to worry about running from the dog. You're out front, you might have to run from him. Do you understand the fencing? The fencing of this book in your life is to not for you to miss out on life. It's to protect you. It's for you to be able to live without the fear of what's outside the fence. The whole duty of man is to fear God. And as the King James says, keep His commandments. If I could paraphrase it, the whole duty of man is fear God and live inside the fence. But there's not as much room inside the fence. Yeah, but there's also no dogs in there. I don't have as much freedom to go wherever I want inside the fence. Yeah, but you also don't have to worry about what's outside the fence. Paul said it this way as I close Romans 8.28. Such a powerful verse that I think every believer should have memorized because there's so many times that you need it. And that is, we know that all things work together for good. All things work for good. The good things work for good and the bad things work for good. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to what? Not your purpose. His purpose. The Amplified says that verse this way, We are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor, all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to and for those who love God and are called according to His design and purpose. The New Century Version says it this way, We know that in everything God works for the good of those who love Him. I love it. I love the way the New Century Version says that. The, the other way, the, the King James, the Amplified, all things work together for good. But here it's saying that in everything God is working. He's not just working all things together for good. In everything He is working good. For those who love Him, they are the people He called because that was His plan. Lastly, the Living Bible says, we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into His plans. I believe there's some people in this place today. You've been going through some difficulties. You've been going through some challenges in your life. That God, not the devil, not fate, not chance, but God has allowed. 
Because it is amazing the extent that God will go to to try to get you to decide, you know what, God? I think I'm going to live my life reverencing, respecting you, and keeping your commandments. He'll let you go through all kind of difficulties and problems and challenges to try to influence you to reach the point where you will say, God, I want to put you first. I'm going to make your word the road map of my life. I'm going to make the principles of your word what guides my life. I'm not going to let what anybody else says, I'm not going to let what I think be the determining factor in how I live and what I do. You, you created me for a purpose. You created me with a plan, and that plan is ultimately for my good. This is the, this is the whole duty. I want to summarize all of what this is all about. Reverence, worship, honor God, and keep His commandments. Some of you have been dealing with things that God, God, God has allowed to try to bring you to a point. Those that are here today that are would consider themselves members of this church. The higher percentage, the higher percentage of them, when they were saved, when they got saved, when they were born again, the higher percentage of them, their lives were a mess. There's not a lot of people that when they come to Jesus, Life is great. Everything is good. Many people come to Jesus at the most broken point of their life. Part of the reason for that is that's what it took for them to finally decide. There's an old song. We don't ever really sing it. But it goes like this, when you've tried everything and everything has failed, try Jesus. I think that, that kind of sounds like a good country song. When you've tried everything and everything has failed, try Jesus. He'll be your dearest friend until the very end. When you've tried everything and everything has failed, try Jesus. My wife just walked out a second ago. But what do you think would have happened in uh, 1990? If when I went to propose, I would have said, um, I've asked about 20 girls if they would marry me. 
And so far, all of them have told me no. You're the only one that left. So would you marry me? What do you, what do you think the response? I proposed to her on a water taxi downtown Annapolis. I'm suppressing several things I want to say in this moment. Okay, I think I suppressed them. So. I'm pretty sure if that would have been my proposal, there would have been an article in the Capitol the next day. Man gets thrown off of water taxi, drowns. I couldn't swim. I still can't swim. I have a feeling if I could have swim and that happened and she throwed me, threw me over, she would have held me down. What, what, what person, male or female, wants that to be the reason somebody wants to marry you? Well, I've tried everyone and everyone has faith. Can you imagine what, how the Lord feels when we sing that song? We tried everything, Jesus. Everything has failed. The only thing left to try is you. I'm just going to tell you right now, you better be glad I'm not God. Because if I was God and that's the way you approach me, I'd be like, sorry. You only want me because nothing else has worked. Sorry, forget it. Oh, that's not what he does. He's sitting there going, okay, all right. You only got a couple more things to try before you realize. Not much longer and you'll know. Kind of like the prodigal son's father who had took his father's inheritance and went away and wasted it all. He came home thinking his father would reject him and punish him and so he's got this speech going on in his mind when he finally decides to come back home then he's going to tell his father listen I, I know I've been a you know I know I've messed up I know I've done it all wrong I know I wasted your living but would you just let me be a servant in your house because I'm not worthy to be a son anymore and and as he's as he finally makes his way back home the Bible says that his father was 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 watching for him And it says when he saw him, and if I'm not mistaken, it says when he saw him a long way off. That he gets up and goes after him. Can you imagine what started going through the mind of that son when he sees his father rushing toward him? Oh my God, I'm not even going to get a chance to get to the house before I tell him the speech that I have. He's about to just turn me around and kick me down the road. What in the world am I going to do? And finally the father... And before he opens his mouth, before he could even start his speech, the father wraps his arm around him 
and welcomes him home and then starts giving out all these commandments to his servants that my son who was lost has now come home and we are going to celebrate. So if you've been like the prodigal son and you've wasted and blown all of your living and his inheritance, he still is waiting with open arms to say, okay, now that you've tried everything and it hasn't worked, if you'll give me a try and if you'll finally surrender and submit to my will, my purpose, my plan for your life I've got some life and life more abundantly would you just please right where you're sitting just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment I believe there's somebody in this place that if you would just do what the Lord wants you to do today, you would make a decision, God, I'm going to live my life reverencing you, fearing you, worshiping you, keeping your commandments. I'm going to work to fulfill the greatest law that you are, there's only one God, and I'm going to love you with all my heart, my soul. tell you there's some people in this place today your life is your life is falling apart around you there's disappointments there's there's things that are not going well no I'm not going to tell you that if you'll surrender to Jesus today and what he wants I'm not going to tell you that he's going to wave a magic wand and all of a sudden your pumpkin's going to turn into a carriage and and and, and you're all of a sudden going to be you know the princess on the way to the ball I'm not telling you that but I am telling you that if you'll surrender your life to him and let him begin to work in your life he will begin to turn it around and I can tell you today because I've seen it in my own life and there's people in this place that can testify to the fact today that at some point you'll be able to turn around and look back and realize wow look how far God brought me look at all the things in my life God worked out look at all of the broken pieces that God has put back together so his heads are bowed and eyes are closed can I say this to you as well the Bible says that today Today is the day of salvation. I plead with somebody here right now. Don't decide, you know what, I hear what you're saying, preacher, and it might be some truth to it, but I'm just, I don't know that I'm just, I don't know that I'm ready for that yet. I, I don't know that I'm ready to truly believe and surrender. And I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be dramatic. You've got no guarantee. You've got absolutely no guarantee that you'll have another chance like this moment. You have no guarantee that there'll be an upper, another opportunity like this opportunity. So I beg of you right now, there's no better time, there's no better day than this day to decide, you know what, God, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I want to... I want to live a life that reverences you, respects you, your word that loves you, and because you love me. See, all of this is based on the fact that he loves us. It's not based on the fact he's some tyrant, some dictator, just trying to have his way. It's based on the fact that he loves us, and everything he, everything he does or allows is ultimately because of his love. So his heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I know what I'm about to ask is not the most comfortable thing to ask, but you're in this place today and you would be willing to acknowledge that the Spirit of the Lord is 
is talking through to you through what I've preached here today. Can I ask you to respond to that right now? I ask you to get up out of your seat, come down to this front that we call the altar. You can stand, you can kneel, but as a as a way of demonstrating God, I'm I'm committing myself, I'm surrendering myself. I want to get out of this existential crisis that I'm living in trying to figure out what's the purpose to my life? What's the reason for my life? What's the what's the purpose behind the pain and the suffering and the difficulties I've gone through? Can I tell you, I've already read it to you. All of it, all of it, all of it, all of it is working for your good. Those things you're going through right now that are so hurtful and causing so much turmoil in your life, If that's the thing that helps you come to Jesus and surrender your life to Jesus, what may have been a tragedy becomes a great triumph. What may have felt like a curse at one point becomes a blessing. Come on, I I believe there's some people here right now, you're not a guest today. This isn't your first time or your first couple of times. You come regularly, but if you'd be honest... If you'd be transparent with the Lord today, you would acknowledge, you know what, I'm not sure I'm living fully committed to fearing God and keeping His commandments. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray right now that Your grace and Your mercy, that Your love would work in this place today. your love draw us to you it's not wrath it's not judgment that you use to draw us it's love draw somebody in this place today that somebody maybe even for the first time respond to that tug of your spirit in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Maybe there's somebody nearby you. I don't want you to do this without asking them, but maybe there's somebody nearby you. They're just not ready or comfortable to come to the front, but maybe they'd like to pray right where they are. You could just ask them if you could pray with them. Come on, church. I need some help right now in this altar. I need some help. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, you're able to take my brokenness. You're able to take my brokenness, God, and put the pieces of my life back together. You're able, Lord. You're able, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. From beginning to the end. Come on, the presence of the Lord is touching some hearts and lives in this place today. I believe there's some lives that are going to leave this place transformed today. Nothing else matters. 
want you to be at the center. Jesus, I want you to be at the center of my life, Lord. Jesus, I want you to be at the center of my life, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Nothing in this world will do. There's nothing that can replace you, God. Jesus, you're the center. There's nothing that can be a substitute for you in my life, Lord. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. at the center Jesus at the center Jesus at the center from beginning to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus Jesus nothing else matters nothing in this world nothing in this world absolutely nothing in this world can satisfy or replace who you are and what you are everything revolves around Jesus Jesus the center, be the center, Lord. All about you. Yes, it's, it's all about, about you. It's all about you. From my heart Life is all end. about you. Purpose is all Jesus about you. Be the center. It's all about oh, it's all about you, Jesus. Yes, it's all about you. It's all about you, It's all about you. It's all about you. Hallelujah. From my heart to the heavens. In the name of Jesus. Jesus be the center. In the name of Jesus. All about you. Yes, it's all about you. Jesus. 
Jesus, in the name of Jesus. mindful of those that are still praying but if you need to go or want to go God bless you you're welcome to do so thank you again for being here today the presence of the Lord is still working, ministering in this place He's still touching you, please don't be in a hurry, let Him do what He wants to do in your heart and your life today in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to be the center. I want you to be the center of my life. I don't want you out on the peripheral of my life. I don't want you just to be some part of my life. I want you to be at the center. I want you to be at the center of my life, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for your grace today. Thank you for your mercy today. Thank you for your blood today that covers and washes no matter what we've done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 